0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to this week's Win-Win Women in Innovation episode. I am especially thrilled about this week's guest, Natasha, who is the Global Chief Innovation Officer at Anomaly, an advertising and business transformation agency. Natasha has been a longtime supporter, member, and friend of Win, and there are many ex-Anomaly people within our community who are now leaders within their own rights, so it really feels full circle bringing her on here. You'll hear it when you tune into the episode, but Natasha is the kind of person who you feel like you yourself would have known for years. Our conversation went well beyond 40 minutes, but I had the challenging job of ensuring that you get to hear the golden nuggets in under 30 minutes or so. But with that, I encourage you to reach out to Natasha as her career and her insights on the world of innovation are truly phenomenal. On a separate note, something I've been thinking a lot about is how evolved careers are even since the Win organization was born, which was at this point six or seven years ago if I'm not mistaken. Innovation is such a fundamental part of everyone's job and everyone's career, so I'm really excited to bring on the Wynn CEO, Dr. Ray Mashakir, on here to talk about our ever-changing vision and how Wynn is thinking about pioneering the next generation of innovators and leaders in innovation, so definitely stay tuned for when that episode comes out. With that, I hope that you enjoyed this week's
1: episode with Natasha from Anomaly.
0: Hi, Natasha. Welcome to the Win-Win Podcast.
1: Hello. So good to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me.
0: I'm so, so excited. Just a a fun backstory is, so I decided that on this season of the podcast, I'm gonna start each podcast episode with shedding some light on what an innovation title means for each guest. Frankly, it's because this morning, someone I work with basically was ripping at the idea of innovation. She basically was saying, it's not a thing, it's not a job, it's just a buzzword. And I I do see the validity of the whole like, oh, it's a buzzword uh, argument. But at the same time, I think, Every single one of my guests is so amazing and impressive, and I just want our listeners to know what your job entails. So with that, Natasha, you are Chief Innovation Officer at Anomaly, which most people know as an advertising agency. So what does your job entail?
1: Yeah, I think it's a fair question because I'm always very conscious that even to people within marketing, Chief Innovation Officer at Anomaly is quite, Mm -hmm. sounds, you know, very vague. And I think... You know, anomaly, its name is its positioning. It's a deviation from a norm. It purposely tries to be vague. So the way I think about innovation is there's a kind of, there's, there's a pitch which is about creative ways to think about business transformation, about business growth, about business change, that I think is really amazing because, because it is vague. Because there is wiggle room, because there's a mm-hmm. chance to be able to stretch and answer questions in all sorts of ways. So, you know, Anomaly is generally known as an advertising agency, but I've been there forever and have always led an innovation practice, which if you went really practically, it often just means I get the odd shaped questions, the business challenges that aren't about marketing aren't about communications. The benefit of that is you get a business challenge and then you think about how best to answer it. So is that a new brand? Is that a new product? Is that a new experience? Is that, you know, helping the company transform and think about new ways to grow? Is it about new design or ways to present themselves? Is it new ways to behave? And I think the joy of my job is thinking about how you can answer questions in the best way and over time that has only enlarged you know now i have tools like transformation digital transformation i can bring in web3 answers i have more ways than ever before to answer a business challenge and i think that's the joy of innovation so purposely vague purposely reaching purposely trying to think about problems and challenges in new ways. And that's the joy of my job. I I totally
0: resonate with what you're saying, especially because... We ran a cohort called One Relay, which basically focused on women with 10 to 15 years of experience. And each one, some of them had an innovation title, some of them didn't. And after six months of speaking to some of the most senior people in the innovation industry, as well as amongst themselves who are already very impressive, what we basically figured out is you really can't put it in a box. And that's the exciting part. And so if that makes you uncomfortable or you say that because it can't be labeled or put in a box, then it's not real. I genuinely think that's like a great way to know that that industry or that type of work is not for you.
1: I I think you're totally right. I think that's the reason why I've enjoyed it so much, because you get to define the kinds of work that you want to do. And, you know, normally, my team, we pull different types of Thinkers. Like we have some design thinkers, some people that are really into jobs to be done. We have people who are more into writing, more into analytics and data. And Mm -hmm. I think the strength of ideas that come out and the strength of answers actually happen from that diversity of thinking. And we're specifically not design thinkers. You know, we're specifically not one form of framework or the the magic is being able to think creatively about uh, a business and and use you know strategy is kind of big enough I think yeah you're right if you either need to know exactly what are your tools and what is your box or you thrive in being able to nudge and go into new areas and and connect those dots and think about things in really open ways and not to not to belabor it but You know, I started out as a strategist, a brand strategist Mm -hmm. at an advertising agency. And I soon realized that it was really disappointing, frustrating, just annoying to think that my role was about briefing a creative, a creative, you know, the thought that my role had to stop with a creative brief for communications was so limiting when you think of, what strategy can do. You have insight into people, into business, into kind of categories, into where the world is going, into culture. And then you have to just brief someone else to think of ideas, to do an ad. It just seemed really depressing. <laughs> so mm-hmm. No, no, That's, that's how fair. I found my way into innovation, which to be honest, didn't really exist particularly. Like I joined mm-hmm. a consultancy, I joined Uh, Jonah, who had just started Red Scout, and there were a handful of people, and we basically figured out what clients needed, and that became innovation. But some of it was brand strategy, some of it was research, some of it was just a partner to think through questions that you didn't really know who else to go to. Right. And
0: I do think that this raises the question of people who may be struggling to even validate this as a function that they're trying to upstand in an agency or in an existing company, or people who are trying to bring in structure to innovation. Because while I do think that it's fluid, there are still tools and structures and frameworks and KPIs right so what would you recommend to somebody who's either trying to validate that function especially in this economy where lots of innovation things are things that can't be easily defined or getting cut or people who are trying to you know solidify that practice in their organization
1: as free and uh, or freeing as strategy can be the one common element is you need an objective so Mm -hmm. you know it was interesting I I remember seeing Bruce Mao talk many years ago amazing designer and he was talking very much about you know people always think that he's an artist he's not an artist he's a designer and Mm -hmm. the difference the big difference is you need an objective he's he doesn't think about things unless he has something that he needs to solve and I think for innovation it's the same thing you need a business challenge you need a problem to actually start focusing in on and then once you have that i think then you have to obviously have metrics and so much of working with clients is proving worth proving that you're hitting those metrics so i think it's part and parcel of being a strategist is mm-hmm. thinking about a lot of a lot of the projects we get actually People come with a a, a kind of big sense of a problem in their business, but not really an idea of what that objective is. So sometimes part of the proposal writing process is really trying to define actually what the business challenge is. And so then once you have that, then it's much easier to start, you know, thinking about both gates for how you get there and also KPIs so that it should be obvious because that should be aligned on when you start the project.
0: I also would add that what I've seen is that you do have a little bit of runway to have that discovery and exploratory time and I think each company has a different threshold of how long that time is but I would say that for my personal experiences what I've seen in addition to trying to figure out the best customer problem to solve the best business problem to solve It's also really important to consider what you walk out with as a framing. So what I mean is I'm doing this product. You may not understand its value at this point or this project, but what I'm looking to unlock is unlock the problem that we are facing that you are too familiar with, like operations or, you know, minimizing sales costs, right? So I think tying it back to something real as a part of your discovery process
1: also helps people see that bridge. Absolutely. And it's interesting thinking about how you sell it through the organization too. So we don't have a set process, but obviously every process kind of follows a type of you know flow from discovery and getting smart to then figuring out what your strategy is to then going out and figuring out potential hypotheses and ideas. But I think what's interesting is how you make sure that you're always kind of focused on whether it's the jobs to be done or the, the issues that you're trying to solve and then bringing people in, the right people along the organisation, along the ride, so that you're constantly, you're course correcting as you go. You understand what they need. Sometimes people ask for things that they actually don't need that much and you find out along the way that there's a much bigger problem that you could be focused on that's much more useful. So building that kind of collaborative Uh, process with clients I think is important and it's always amazing to me just as a strategist it's almost like you know a little embarrassing to realize and actually being able to sell that in you know creating an inspirational story that gets people excited not just that it's the right answer but it's something that is going to live up to their ambition I think that's also part of part of the trick.
0: And when we talk about sales oftentimes There is a, what my mom would call the human element, which is ultimately like, it really depends on the person who's sitting in front of you, who you are selling to, as well as who you are, whether that's your gender, your race, your background, your university degree, whatever it may be. So again, you've been in the ring for 16 plus years at Anomaly and at other places. So how have you seen that process evolve and what are some suggestions you may have for somebody who feels that they are hitting a wall because they're communicating with people that don't look like them.
1: Yes, it's interesting. I mean, I've been doing this for so long. I think for I think I spent my early career a trying to figure out what I was doing. You know, I fell into this. I was definitely someone that I did very well at university and then I did a master's just so I didn't have to <laughs> decide what figure out your job I yeah no, I had no idea I kept waiting for like a lightning bolt a mm-hmm. passion you know a purpose something that I really wanted to do and in the end you know I went from documentaries to advertising by chance by accident really and I think I think I spent a lot of my career trying to figure out do I like this what am I doing what what do I want to do so I think my first kind of piece of advice would be you really need to just think about what you enjoy and what what you can get passionate about because i think people don't realize that they have the chance to create their role to create their function especially with innovation it's so vague you can make of it what you want and i think that's mm-hmm. so important and i think people really do kind of fall into the trap sometimes of following what they're told to do versus thinking about what do they want to do and how do they just go ahead and do it. And it's ironic that I've been at Anomaly so long. I joined as a partner and I've created this role. So I almost can't imagine a better role because it is Mm -hmm. basically what I've kind of evolved into and I've kind of just keep working on what I enjoy. Um, so it 's very hard to leave, I think it you know in terms of being different and diversity and you know and the opposite fitting in, I think a similar kind of thought comes to mind. you know I came to America very young um, I got a job here I'm, I still can 't understand why anyone would give me a job with barely any <laughs> barely any experience and uh, and and you know and a visa. And it was a shock, partly because, because everyone seemed old. Everyone seemed like a, an old white man. Mm-hmm. Um, so much more than, than the London market. And I had used, been used to, you know, just being in a meritocracy. If you're good enough, you're old enough. So I did very well. And then I came here, and then suddenly I wasn't allowed to present anything. Like my mm-hmm. my boss, who was male and whatever, would would present it. And you know, it definitely took me a little bit of time to kind of figure out. Okay, how on earth can I do this? I was so obviously different. You know, I was young, I was female, I was English. You know, there were so many things that that just kind of stood out as different. And I think. You know, it took me a little time, but I did realize that part of that difference could be used to, to stand out. And I think, you know, I spent a lot of time trying to, to fit in, I think. And then I realized that actually a much better way of working would be to kind of almost lean into the fact that I was different. I could ask silly questions, you know, I could question assumptions because I'm not from here. I was young. So is this always how it worked? Or another way, I could bring in, you know, I didn't have a ton of industry examples. So I could bring in some economics some sociology, I could bring in examples from other categories. And amazingly, and maybe it was just because I so long ago, people didn't do that. And so I think there was a way I was able to kind of I don't know if it literally helped me, but it helped me confidence-wise. So yeah. one of the things that I do say to people is kind of, I try and work with people to figure out what is their style, what is right. their way of working. If you're an introvert, it really isn't going to help for someone to tell you to speak louder in meetings. You know? <laughs> like ludicrous. Chris. So how do you work out what your way is? Um, I had this period when, when I did just move to America where – you know, I was always very confident presenting and suddenly I was getting like this breathlessness. I, c- I literally felt like I couldn't breathe when I was mm. standing up in front of a room. And, uh, and you know, the agency I was at sent me to training where they kind of were trying to train me to be a generic presenter. And it just didn't work. Like I think at one point they were like, well, just put your, you know, hold a pen and clench your butt cheeks because that'll give you like core strength Oh God. We know, like, and I realized that actually the way that I could feel comfortable was realizing that I am, I'm never going to be a measured presenter. I'm still not. I'm like that person that comes up and is slightly manic, but really enthusiastic Mm -hmm. and so enthusiastic that you believe what they say, because I do, I haven't practiced it. I talk from the heart and I'm going to get you excited because it's what I believe in.
0: And that makes so much sense, especially considering the fact that there are so many different problems to solve and so many different clients. And I'm not saying that you should be losing clients because you don't know how to be a two-way communicator. But at the same time, I do believe that there is opportunity to rise faster and in a more authentic way when you find I don't know if the word is allies or people that are sponsors or mentors within your company and I also believe that maybe instead of trying to tackle a scope or a certain problem that just isn't working there's opportunity to build different scope so I'll speak from my own experience you know when when I've worked in organizations where I felt like you know I am not the right person to solve this problem clearly my methodology or my style isn't well here, or there's a wrong partner. Yes, I go through the steps of, can we problem solve? Can I try something different? But ultimately, I then create additional new scope that either doesn't exist that I think is important and kind of fight for that, or I move around within the organization. And I think being at a larger organization is definitely makes that easier because there's so many different roles and opportunities. So another piece of your career that I found really exciting is that when we initially spoke and, and met for coffee probably a, a few months ago now, you mentioned that your husband is somebody who's really good at setting this game plan. And you were <laughs> kind of like, as we even learned from this conversation, you, you figured it out. You sculpted and molded this role into your own as you went along. That being said, you know, to really get that senior role and that senior title, I know you didn't just fall into it and I know you worked incredibly hard. So how do you recommend that people really balance staying open-minded and not getting bogged down by kind of the goals and the milestones, but at the same time, conduct their career in a strategic way?
1: Yes. Yeah. As, as you said, I feel like you're very good at this. Like you've gone for different roles and things like develop things like win and the podcast um so I think it's a lot around that kind of behavior that kind of mindset so as you said my husband is very different from me he is a planner he wanted to start his own company by the age he was by 25 he wanted to sell that company by the time he was 29 I think it was Mm Chris and I kind of watch him and partly feel like, oh my God, I would never do that. I would n- just don't think that way. But I think it is possible to to obviously to land in a great place and keep advancing even if you don't have a plan. And I think the way to do that is to make sure that you keep figuring out what you want. For me, that's the hardest thing. The planning is whatever. The hardest thing to do is figuring out Do you want to do this? Is it something that lets you grow? Is it something that lets you explore? And if it isn't, how do you create paths to do that? So a lot of my career was, you know, figuring out first what type of strategist I was, then realizing the type of work I liked. And that meant the jump from kind of communications to more of a kind of upstream and I I guess creative business Uh, route. And then developing what kind of role that I wanted to create, what kind of team I wanted, how I wanted to run a a part of a business within a bigger business. Um, And then along the way, you know, did I want to work somewhere really big? No. Did I want to do work that was a different kind of work that I couldn't do at Anomaly mm-hmm. or could I start bringing that kind of work in? You know, just thinking about these key questions. And I think the thing is, you don't need to be a planner, but you you need to actually think about it. You just need to keep course correcting and thinking about what to do. At the moment, I definitely, you know, I've realized that I work on all these amazing business challenges, but I'm loving more and more, you know, mm-hmm. working with founders and startups and just giving advice for the fun of it, not for, you know, not for big project scopes and things like that. So thinking about how do I do a bit more of that, along with the stuff that I already know, the stuff that I've kind of built up along the way, uh, Anomaly.
0: And when you lean into those passions, and you kind of lean into them, what I would say is in good faith, I do think that serendipity mixed with that strategic lens does its work, you know, like I would have never thought that I would have ended up not at Citibank and not at JPMorgan Chase, but actually Women in Innovation is what led me there. And then, you know, working on one project, unlock the next opportunity, unlock, unlock the next opportunity. So I, I also do believe that you've also got to do things in good faith versus measuring the ROI every time. And ultimately, I think it'll pay off.
1: Totally. I think if you're not a planner, you have to be a believer in serendipity And generally, just say yes. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Like, if you're not a planner, say yes to everything. Try everything, because that's how you keep things interesting. That's how you keep progressing, you know? You don't need goals necessarily, but you need to keep saying yes. And with
0: that, and before we close out the podcast, I'd love to end it with the one question I ask all of our innovators, and that is where do you see yourself and your industry One month from now, one year from now, and 10 years from now.
1: This is really hard. (laughs) um, For someone that isn't a planner.
0: I know. It's
1: like the worst (laughs) question to ask you.
0: You're like, I don't know. End it.
1: Um, (laughs) Yeah. One month is no time. So I'm working on some super interesting, like crazily different projects at the moment. I'm working on a completely new way to deal with female incontinence. I'm working on taking an Amazon only beauty brand that's doing really well and transforming it, its positioning, its identity, its whole way of going to business by taking it into bricks and mortar. I'm working on a project that's about helping a massive company evolve into the future of luxury I think in a month's time hopefully we'll have some answers to these really hard questions mm. so that's that's a month a year from now I've just been given a title which is uh, a, I'm a global partner now mm, in, all honesty, <laughs> in all honesty I think I've always been global but I th- you know this gives me license to think about ways to work with our other offices. We have offices in London and Berlin and Shanghai, L.A. and Toronto. And so I think I'm looking forward to thinking about how to try and find new opportunities, working with new interesting people and disciplines in these different offices, trying to find completely different clients and projects. So I think that's an interesting kind of year The year ahead, another thing, you know, post-COVID, one of the things that I used to do and really enjoy was I used to do in-person panels at Anomaly. We have a massive space. And because you can kind of create your own role, I just started doing panels for no good reason, just because Mm. I enjoy it, because it gives me a chance to cold email people who I'd like to talk to, (laughs) invite them onto and do panels so that's the other thing I, i'm hoping i did one recently uh, my first one post covid recently with some amazing people in kind of fintech and crypto um i'd love to do more of those i'm thinking sustainability next maybe and then 10 years i'm gonna say personally i have two kids in 10 years time it's, it's almost gonna make me cry but they're gonna be like basically college, they're no longer (laughs) going to be children anymore. So I think, you know, 10 years time, I'm hoping that the world around us isn't too crazy. Uh, So I'm I'm hoping that with, you know, climate change and politics and the craziness of the world is still the stability and happiness for them as they make their way out into the world. And then professionally, oh, goodness. I think I, I could still be an Anomaly. I mean, I've been there forever, mm-hmm. but I would like to, I'd like to, I'm finding myself, I almost by accident from, from people reaching out and asking for advice, I am doing kind of informal advisory to founders and CEOs and I'm enjoying it so much which I never expected because I love digging into the actual work and like you know I still write decks. Mm-hmm. So I've really enjoyed being able to impact and kind of work almost one-on-one with with people. So I'm actually hoping I can get to do more of that. And um, yeah, if anyone wants to give me advice into breaking into the incredibly, you know, closed world, cu- closed male world of uh, boards and things like that, then, yeah, I think things like that would be interesting to try and do more of as I, as I think about the future.
0: That's amazing. And I am very excited for that next era or a chapter for you. Thank you so much for coming on and joining the one Win podcast. It has been a blast.
1: Thank you so much. Amazing.
0: Thanks for listening to Win Win, brought to you by WIN, Women in Innovation, and myself, Zoya Kozakal. If you enjoy this podcast, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit womenininnovation.co to learn more about our organization, programming, and other opportunities. And remember, when women innovate, we all win.